Happy one year to this Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm thrilled to be speaking with Sachin Patel on this wonderfully revealing conversation. Sachin is a father, husband, philanthropist, functional medicine practice success coach, speaker, author and plant medicine advocate. He's convinced that the doctor of the future is the patient and he has committed himself to helping others raise their consciousness, activate their inner doctor and initiate their deepest healing through the use of lifestyle, breathwork and respectful utilization of psilocybin. Sachin founded the Living Proof Institute through which he pioneered a revolutionary approach to patient-centered healthcare and coaches hundreds of practitioners around the world so that they are empowered to deliver affordable and inspired care to their communities through his perfect practice mentorship program. He's an advocate of transforming the healthcare paradigm and he has devoted his life to the betterment of healthcare for both patients and practitioners. On this episode, we speak about how the doctor of the future is the patient itself and what's the new health paradigm that we actually need. I have wonderful, awesome news to share in this anniversary episode. As you know, each episode airs Wednesday where I speak with a range of awesome guests. You can now look forward to a mini episode each Friday on short guided sleep sessions. These 10 to 15 minute sessions will guide you through gentle breath work, meditation, deep relaxation, visualization, gratitude and affirmations all to hold your hand and help you fall asleep. Play them each night to help your body shift into a parasympathetic mode where you can rest and heal. And let me know how they help. Now for the most exciting news, my book Sleep Whisperer has just been acquired by Sonal Nerurka, Senior Commissioning Editor at HarperCollins India. I'll keep you involved in the book's journey right up until its release next year. Keep listening to the podcast for little bits of information. And I want to offer my heartfelt gratitude to my beautiful literary agent Jaipriya Vasudevan of Jacaranda Literary Agency who has turned my life and my year wonderfully upside down. Big shout out to my best friend, spiritual guide and my partner Sham for everything from support to holding my hand to spiritually guiding me and to just making all of this happen. Stay tuned for a whole lot more excitement this year. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Sachin, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. 
I'm thrilled to have you, especially because there's that synergy of Eastern and Western somewhere inside of you, and I'm hoping to get that out today. So I'd love to bring in a little bit about any Eastern traditions that you use in your practice as well. And we are going to talk about so many things. And I must start off by saying that I just heard you yesterday making this profound statement how the future doctor is actually the patient uh, or something similar to that, which is really powerful. And I think a lot of people don't give themselves that kind of empowerment. So uh, what brought you to this field and how did you come about this path of uh, recognizing that we have so much power in ourselves. And I think you also speak a lot about the power that lies in passive tools and passive techniques, which is really remarkable to me because we get so caught up in looking at profound things and especially in the world of biohacking, so I'd love to talk a little bit about that differentiation as well between what is what might be passively powerful and what might be powerfully not as efficient as those gentle tools that are there right in front of us. And some of these tools are part of the Eastern tradition and probably haven't been given as much due until today, because I know that 20 years ago when I started teaching yoga, people looked at me like I had some bizarre profession. My friends would look at me as if had I made a mistake choosing this. And then suddenly today, everyone's embracing yoga and meditation. There's a lot of research on how meditation helps brain health. So do you feel that we still don't give um, these passive tools as much importance as we should be. But let's first hear about Sachin Patel and what brought you to this field. Sure. Well, thank you, first of all, Deepa, for doing such great work in the world and helping people improve their quality of life. You know, it's needed now more than ever before. And I'm so glad that people like yourself and myself are stepping up into this belief that you know, really, ultimately, at the end of the day, the doctor of the future is a patient. And, you know, that, you know, that statement comes from a deep understanding of the magnitude of the problem that we have right now. So you think about our current healthcare system, the current healthcare system is designed in such a way that it collapses if people are healthy, because there's no business, and it collapses if people are sick. So what is the healthcare system, right? It requires a certain number of people to be dependent on it, a certain number of people to be sick and a certain number of people to be healthy. And we've seen with everything that's going on in the world that that is not the future of healthcare. And that cannot be the future of healthcare because if you think about it, we're delegating our most important asset, which is our health to somebody else who doesn't live in our shoes, who doesn't live in our heads, who doesn't have a clear understanding of the trauma that we've been through, the unique experiences that we've had, and really what to do about it. And really our current medical system is, is a pacification system. It pacifies the symptoms. It pacifies the illness. In fact, the word that they use is treat, right? What does it mean to treat something? To treat something means to, to reward it, right? So we're essentially treating somebody's diabetes and we're 
enabling them to continue the behavior that got them into that position in the first place. And instead of actually creating a solution for them, instead of teaching them how to drive, we just keep replacing the bumper. And that's really not sustainable. It's not the type of healthcare that I want to deliver. It's not the type of healthcare that we want for our children. So we need to come up with a completely new paradigm where the patient is positioned as their own self healer. And we've had this, you know, our big scriptures have taught us this for many years. Unfortunately, the science couldn't actually uh, measure what we can measure now. And so now we're starting to realize the power of consciousness, the power of breathing, the power of the internal tools that we all have, the science is finally catching up, right? And what's interesting about science, you know, people say, oh, like, I believe in science. Well, let me tell people one thing, everyone who's listening to this, the amount of research every year increases uh, at orders of magnitude. So what that actually means is we have more questions. So what that actually means is we have less knowledge. Year after year, the universe is just kind of laughing back at us saying, ha ha, you think you have me figured out, but why are you doing more research? You should be doing less research if you have me figured out. So the questions keep pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, but we will actually realize true health when we, when we recognize the answers have been inside of us all along. You know, Leonardo da Vinci said the greatest sign of sophistication is simplicity. Steve Jobs echoed that in the work that he did with Apple, that the greatest sign of sophistication is simplicity. And I can't think of anything more sophisticated than the human body, which the then mean to me means what could be more simple to take care of. What makes the body sophisticated is that it's actually truly one of the simplest things for us to take care of. And in a consumeristic society where our entire economy is driven off of ignorance and a lack of self-awareness, you know, of course, we're going to hide health in a bottle. Of course, we're going to hide health in a hospital. Of course, we're going to hide health in some sort of magical injection that's going to come and save us all. But in reality, the greatest place to hide health is within us because we've been conditioned from the very beginning that we are broken, that we are weak, that we do not have the tools for our own health sovereignty and it's quite fortunate and that needs to change. And I, and I appreciate the work that you're doing and the work that countless other people are doing to bring this message to the forefront that the doctor of the future is inside of you, right? You get to decide today how you're going to feel. You get to decide today how you're going to feel tomorrow. You get to decide today how you're going to feel a year from now based on the decisions and the choices and the action steps that you actually take. And to think that somebody else is going to decide that for us is beyond ridiculous. So it's time that we start really calling a spade a spade and stepping up into our own power. And, you know, my training as a chiropractor brought me to this realization from the very beginning that there is an energy, there is a life force that permeates through us, that permeates in everything that you see in the entire universe. And that's what makes us so special is actually our ability to recognize that, not our ability to dismiss it. And so we've come to a point in society where we've been di dismissive of this innate intelligence, of this force that permeates through everything, and we've separated ourselves from it. And that's been one of mankind's greatest demises. And we're seeing that, right? We're seeing the spiritual crisis that we have right now, and it's spreading like a pandemic all over the globe. You know, we don't have a lack of technology. We don't have a lack of solutions. We have a lack of self-awareness and personal accountability. And the only thing that can change that is us taking action and ownership. And what I hope to do today is give people really simple tools that are passive that they can do 
that will automatically make them healthier, not just them, but the people around them, the people in their ecosystem, in their sphere of influence will become healthier as a result of learning the information that we have today. You know, the greatest piece of technology that's ever been created is the human body. So what makes us think that we can create something more powerful, more elegant, more, you know, profound than this beautiful vehicle that we have? I mean, all the scientists in the world, if they put their heads together, couldn't even create one cell in the human body. So we've created entire industries to manipulate the body, but there's nothing that we have that can create even one cell. But here's the beautiful thing about our bodies is that we, through our mind, through our actions, through our breath, through the foods that we eat, through the environments we put ourselves in, are literally in control of trillions upon trillions of cells and can govern and control the action of those cells based on our behaviors. But nobody's ever taught us that, right? And so, you know, our school system doesn't really teach us that. Our uh, workplace doesn't really teach us that. Our doctors don't really teach us that. So what I feel is that there has never been a greater time and opportunity than now to teach people how to have their own health, personal health sovereignty, and how they can create a system that actually promotes their health, not just prevents disease, right? The prevention of disease is like getting married and living a life with your spouse to prevent divorce or starting a business to prevent bankruptcy. Like that's just a ludicrous way of thinking. So why is it that we think that way when it comes to our health? So we have it completely backwards. The paradigm is completely broken. We're seeing it crumble all around us. And, you know, frankly, there's no magic pill that's going to come and save us. The magic is inside of us and we have it already. Each and every one of us has this beautiful vessel, this temple that we can use to create our best life possible. And not just on a physical plane, on an emotional plane, on a spiritual plane, like it's really all of those planes being in alignment where we're going to meet and encounter our best life. You know, we've reduced health in our medical system down to numbers on a piece of paper, which is absolutely ridiculous and very reductionistic and oppositional to the way our body is laid out. Our body is a whole system. We have to use a systems biology approach, which is not a reductionistic system, which is what our current medical model is. And, you know, there's a time and place, there's a time and place when reductionism works. Like if you break a bone, then reductionism is very powerful, right? We need to figure out exactly what's wrong and fix it. But when you're dealing with true health, not emergency health, not military health, but when you're dealing with true health, then you have to look at the body, not in a reductionistic way, but in an expansive systems biology way. And that's something that hasn't been done up to this point. And we're starting to realize now that we have computers and technology and better self-awareness that that's how it's been all along. So you know, our current system is a miserable failure when it comes to working with chronic illnesses because chronic illnesses are created by choices, not by choice, but by choices. So we have to give people the opportunity to make the right choices and create the environments for their healing to take place. And then, and only then, you know, will we achieve this, you know, this beautiful planet that I know we are capable of. We all have this amazing mind. We have this amazing body. And if we can get this connected and working the way it was designed to, I mean, a beautiful world awaits us, but until then people will suffer, people will die needlessly and people will have chronic illnesses that they created unknowingly 
through the choices that they made because nobody taught them any different or any better. So that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to shine light on that. I know you're here to shine light on, uh, you know, that ideology where we are the doctor of the future. And I frankly can't think of a better solution, right? Training more doctors, more nurses, more healthcare practitioners. Even if we did that, even if we did that, there will never be enough of them to save us from ourselves. Absolutely. So that's never going to be a viable solution. Everyone would have to become a doctor, right? That's the only solution. So how about we just start there and give people tools that they can have from the very beginning. And could you imagine, you know, here, here's an interesting, you know, just something for people to chew on, you know, nobody wants cancer. Nobody wants heart disease. Nobody wants diabetes. So what are we doing about that? Creating a natural solution for diabetes, even if it's free, even if it has no side effects, well, guess what? That person lived a life that created diabetes, that created illness, and they probably mirrored, you know, and, and projected that life onto their children. So actions that they took, the way that they thought, the mindset that they have, the environment that they created, guess what? They created that environment for themselves and their children. So we're just delaying the illness of their next generation by 20 years because over the same period of time, they're going to develop the same illness. And unfortunately, they're walking the wrong path. So it's almost like imagine driving in the wrong direction for 60 years, only to find out that you should have been going the other way all along. And your family is just trailing just a few kilometers behind on the same path towards you know death and destruction. So what I believe is that if we could teach people from the very beginning how to take better care of themselves, we can set their life on a completely different trajectory, not waiting for illness to occur and then finding a natural solution. But how about we move them towards enlightenment? How about we show them the path towards personal health sovereignty and teach them how to become that beam of light, that lighthouse that we are all capable of being uh, and creating an amazing world at the same time? I mean, could you imagine what that world would be like? You know, and I know there's institutes in India and I know there's places around the world that are trying to install and instill these values in children from a very young age, but that's not necessarily mainstream. So we need to make that a little bit more mainstream so that everyone uh, can enjoy the benefits of that knowledge and wisdom and self-actualize themselves, which I believe is, is the only solution. I think that's the most affordable, most viable and the fastest solution that we can bring to market is teaching people how to take care of themselves. They can do that right now with a snap of a finger. Beautiful, Sachin. And what I really liked about what you said was I know that there's a lot of emphasis, even in the health world, about research and science. And I think that I have a mid-path to that. I think sometimes the research can be very fascinating, but I definitely, my husband and I have both lived in the Himalayas. And I can, when you said I can see God laughing down upon us, I can actually see Himalayan gurus laughing down upon whole of mankind for this belief that we are totally looking at science. So I think it's important to understand that there's so many ancient, uh, there's such wealth of ancient wisdom, which is nowhere near research. And it will take several hundred years before that ever happens. Does that mean that we need to discount them and disregard them? Or do we embrace them for the wealth of knowledge that they're 
immersed within them. So I think it's really good that you brought that to light because I feel I was all alone in that space with everybody speaking about research and there's no research to this, there's no research to that. So I'm really glad that you said that. Um, and I'd love for you to actually take us through how we might become empowered and take control of our own health and all, also specifically sleep, of course, since we're discussing sleep. And I did have a peek at some of your posts on Facebook and had some um, your uh, nighttime or evening routine. So I'd love to just get Sachin's evening routine. I know that you are quite specific about um, tuning off from work early in the evening and focusing on other subtle aspects. So I'd love for you to take us through those aspects. And also, I would like you to tell me a little bit about, you mentioned to me about junk light and autonomic pairing, and I'd love to talk a little bit about that as well. So maybe we could just get started with the overarching umbrella view of what would uh, feeling empowered in overall health look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a, a couple things for us to recognize is the feedback loops. The feedback is very deterministic in um, how much of an awareness we have if we're on the right path towards health and wellness. So imagine like, you know, I would imagine that most people have a GPS. Your car, you have a GPS, it tells you where to go. Now that GPS is updating and pinging with the satellite constantly. So every three to four seconds, it's, pro it's getting an update. It's, it's understanding your positioning, and then it's giving you directions to say, okay, turn left, turn right, go straight, whatever the case may be. Now imagine that feedback loop was five minutes. So you could in theory be driving in the wrong direction for minutes and be completely off course and not know. Right. So the length of a feedback loop is very important in helping us understand what direction are we traveling and are we moving in the right direction? Or are we moving in the wrong direction? And just like in your car, if you find out that you're moving in the wrong direction, you can instantly change course without being emotionally attached. You can instantly change course and say, oh, I got to turn left here. Okay. I'm going to turn left. Or you could be rerouted if you take a wrong turn in healthcare up till now, the feedback loops have been very long. So it might be decades before somebody knows they have diabetes. It might be even 10 years after getting a diagnosis of prediabetes that they eventually get a diagnosis mm. of diabetes. Now that feedback loop, unfortunately, is very long. Even in somebody who has diabetes, right now we're using hemoglobin A1C, which has a 120 day feedback loop. So it could be, you know, a long time, it could be several months until they find out, hey, am I doing the right things or not? So there is technology now that is available to us that very um, affordably, in my opinion, shortens the feedback loop. And so we can instantly, in many cases, know if what we're doing is good for us or bad for us, and then make educated and informed decisions from the comfort of our home. We don't have to go to a doctor to know if we're moving in the right direction or not. Now, one thing about blood work is this is the current methodology that we're using uh, to, you know, let's say diagnose a disease or diagnose an illness. And the problem with blood work is that it can be very expensive. It can be cost prohibitive, but it's only a snapshot in time. 
So it's almost like imagine taking a picture of a couple and then pretending like you understand everything that happened in between the last picture you saw of them and the picture that you're currently seeing. So, you know, we don't have that complete picture of what's going on. So wearable technology, um, and I, I don't know what the accessibility is around the world for these things. I know they're becoming more available, but I wear something called an aura ring and the aura ring, uh, tracks very important markers of my overall health and wellness. It tracks my sleep, my deep sleep. It tracks my HRV. It tracks my heart rate, my respiratory rate, tracks my activity. It tracks my body temperature. So every day, every morning I wake up and I have this 24 hour feedback loop that tells me, am I moving in the right direction? Did I do something yesterday that negatively affected my sleep? Did I do something yesterday or am I doing something this week that's negatively affecting my rest and recovery scores? We can identify these things without having to go see anybody. We also use in our, in our practice, uh, again, availability might vary around the world, but we use something called a continuous glucose monitor. And within days, we can get diabetics regulating their blood sugar on their own because the feedback loop now is 15 minutes. So every 15 minutes, this little device that you put in the back of your arm will track your blood glucose level. So you know what you just did, the effect that it has on your metabolic function. And then you can then make informed and educated decisions. Now, if you go to the doctor to get your blood sugar tested, they're going to tell you to fast for 12 hours and you're going to, you're going to do that. You're going to follow the instructions, but guess what? You know, if you can't regulate blood sugar after 12 hours, then you couldn't do it at 11, 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, and three. And really after a meal, your blood sugar should regulate between two and three hours afterwards. So having this self-awareness we've seen radical shifts in people's behaviors because we've shortened the feedback loop, right? So imagine you put your hand on a stove, you instantly know you're getting burned and you instantly pull it away, right? So the same thing can happen with food. The same thing can happen with behavior. The same thing can happen with, you know, the choices that we make on a regular basis. So for example, these glasses that I'm wearing are uh, blocking out about 30% of the blue light that's coming from my computer screen, that's coming from, you know, internal light sources. And that light actually raises my cortisol. When it raises my cortisol, it raises my blood sugar. When it raises my blood sugar, it raises my uh, insulin resistance. So now there's this, you know, cascade of things that take place uh, metabolically inside my body as a result of being exposed to the wrong type of lighting. So there's so many things that uh, little things, subtle things that we can do that can make a profound difference. So first and foremost, wearable technology allows us to tap into key markers of our health, which then can give us a picture of our global wellness. So uh, one thing I want to add uh, before we move on is that the key metric that I look for is something called heart rate variability. So if there was one domino, one marker that I could pick, it would be heart rate variability because that one marker is... Uh, you know, basically the gateway marker to all the other markers. So if your HRV is going up, getting higher, uh, your heart rate variability uh, is going to tell me that your health is moving in the right direction. So what is HRV? If you're wondering, HRV is heart rate variability. This is the variability between each heartbeat. So if your heart is beating 60 times a minute, each beat is not exactly one second apart. That's the average over the course of a minute. Between each heartbeat, there's a slight amount of variability. The higher the variability, the more relaxed 
the more healthy, the more vital you are, and the less stressed you are, the lower the variability, the more stressed you are. So when you're stressed, your body changes where blood goes, it changes the function of the cells, your systems start changing uh, course and action. Whereas when the body is relaxed, in what we would call a parasympathetic state, then all of our systems are healing and repairing and regenerating and restoring themselves. And that's one of the things that sleep is so important for is getting us into that deeply relaxed state where all healing actually takes place. So yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure that people understood what HRV was and, and an easy I way to measure it is using to... heart math and aura ring. And I also wanted to add Sachin, when you mentioned the uh, CGM, that it's not only people who are diabetic who should be using that because our blood sugar mm -hmm. plays such a role in so many things. I mean, just adrenal function, how you respond to stress, hormone equilibrium. And I think a lot of people associate this kind of tracking with just diabetics and so I do want to clarify that that's not the only reason you should be using it. Uh, it's going to help you with everything. Whatever symptom or condition that's troubling you, your blood sugar is definitely playing a very key role in that. And I also wanted to add when you mentioned about the blue light blockers that recently in the sleep world, there's been this controversy going on between two sides where some people in research debunked the blue light glasses as a myth to sell sleep products. Uh, and um, it's been going on in the sleep world that one side is saying that this doesn't exist at all. And then the other side who swears by the blue light uh, glasses and uh, I don't know if you've come across this, but I also interviewed Professor Michael Gradisa, who actually did the research saying there is no science to the fact that blue light blockers actually impact, uh, help improve your sleep if you wear them in the evening. Uh, but I think that what he was trying to say was that there's also a lot of subtleties to this because sometimes when someone is not using them and staying on the screen for several hours into the night, they're shifting bedtime, the nature of the content of what they're watching could also trigger sleep challenges. So I think that's a whole different area, but I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a very excellent point and it's worth mentioning um, because this, you know, this is a very reductionistic, again, a very reductionistic approach, right? Where we're saying one thing and we're not controlling necessarily for the billion other things that are going on inside somebody like meal timing, perhaps the directionality of yes. the light, the content, as you mentioned, yes. you know, the, um, you know, other things like, you know, what is their attitude towards sleep as Absolutely. well, right? For some people, you know, they have trauma around going to bed early right? They were punished as children by turning off the TV. So how, what's their viewpoint on the behavior as well? Some people, when, when they were being punished, their parents would say, go to your room, right? So then when they go to the doctor and the doctor says, Hey, I want you to turn off the TV and I want you to go to your room and go to bed early. Is there trauma around that statement? Yes. Because for some people there is right. So, you know, I'm not going to say that there's one thing where you can just eat whatever you want, whenever you want, watch whatever you want, do all, all the things that are toxic for your body. And then you're going to put on glasses 
and then that's going to improve yes. your sleep. That is a ridiculous, that would be a ridiculous statement, right? Now, what we have to also recognize is the spectrum of solar light. And so solar light has a very, very different uh, energy curve than artificial light does. And so there's also the, the intensity of light that plays a role. There is the energy pattern of light that plays a role, the wavelengths of light that play a role. And there's also directionality that plays a role. So if you think about overhead lighting, for example, overhead lighting tells our brain that it's daytime. Most people's homes have overhead lighting. Okay. So that light is hitting the bottom of the retina, which is stimulating the brain to say that it's daytime. Okay. Whereas when the sun goes down, then the only source of lighting is typically going to be a fire. So fire is coming from below the horizon, hitting the top of the retina, signaling the brain that it's time to wind down. So directionality of lighting also plays a role in what we're doing as well. And the other thing to keep in mind is that when we light a fire, it's going to be in a lower, um, it's going to be in a different spectrum of light, right? So the wavelength of light is going to be between, let's say around 600 and 800 nanometers versus blue light, which is going to be in the 400 to 450 nanometer wavelength. So the frequency of light is also different. And these sources of light will negatively affect our melatonin or positively affect our melatonin. So it's the directionality of light. It's the intensity of the light. And it's also the other behaviors that we're doing to wind down, right? So if you're watching a violent movie, <laughs> right? And then, exactly. you know, when it's time to go to bed, you had a late, you had a late meal, you're on your phone, you're checking email, and you put on these blue, blue blocking glasses to think that that's going to solve the problem is crazy. So one of the things that we do with our clients is we have something called the lights out challenge. So what we have them do to prove to them unequivocally that light is toxic for them is we just tell them, listen, humor me for a week. We're going to give you an aura ring and we're going to track your sleep, right? So we're going to do an N of one study where we're going to track your sleep. Cause the only thing, only numbers that matter are your numbers, not somebody else's numbers, not some, some random study that was done 10 years ago. Um, only numbers that matter are your numbers. And we have technology that allows you to measure N of one. So we're going to have you turn all the lights off or only red lights. So we, we use something called a Lumi bulb. So this is a flicker free led bulb and this light we're going to put on the ground or in a lamp. So you're going to, you're not going to get, you're going to get, um, uh, upward, like the light is going to be on the ground. The source is going to be on the ground and it's going to hit the top of your retina and just humor me and do that for a week. And let's just see what happens. So I had a friend of mine do that. And he's seen all kinds of experts to help improve his sleep because he has his aura ring and he's like, man, my sleep sucks. What do I do? I said, just turn off the lights, man, and see what happens. And he did that. And he says, holy smokes. Well, he said something else, but he said, holy smokes, <laughs> <laughs> this, nobody's ever told me this. And my sleep scores are off the chart now. I'm like, how come nobody told me this? I'm like, well, you know, everyone wants to hack right? Everyone wants to take shortcuts. Everyone wants to, you know, you know, teach you how to uh, cheat the system. I'm going to teach you how the system works because when you know the rules, then you know exactly what to do to leverage the system, not cheat the system, right? Shortcuts lead to shortcomings. And so what we want to do is we want to teach you how your body works, and then you can work synergistically with it, right? Whereas 
uh, a lot of things that are out there and, and uh, this isn't to signal, uh, sing, single anyone out, but a lot of things are out there that are like saying you can have your cake and eat it too. And the answer is no, you can't, right? You can't watch a violent movie before you go to bed wearing your blue blockers. That would be, that would be so ridiculous to think that that's the solution, right? You got to turn off the TV, you got to turn off, but in emergency situations, right? Then we have no choice. Maybe you do put the blue blockers on, but what are you watching? What, what is the context of what you're watching? Who are you watching it with? When's the last time you ate? What was the rest of your day like? What was your sun exposure like during the day? Did you make enough serotonin during the day? Because serotonin turns into melatonin in the evening. Are you exposed to high stress levels? Because cortisol will suppress melatonin secretion because they're antagonists to one another. So we have to look at the whole system as a systems biology approach, not this reductionistic, you know, scientific model because that doesn't work. It works for bacteria in a petri dish. It doesn't work for human beings. I love all that you're saying, Sachin, and it resonates so deeply with me. And I also wanted to add, you know, when you mentioned the fire and uh, I was taken back to this when you were a young child and you go to girl guides camp and you've got the campfire and you're all just sitting around it you're singing songs you're sharing stories so that's a whole who does that today everyone know I mean I don't think anyone is communicating on that level it's all about their communication through different social media or devices or violent movies and you're so right when you say, in fact, I mentioned the reductionist approach to the person whom I interviewed regarding the blue light myth. And uh, uh, I was actually scolded gently for talking about that because he said that you need a reductionist approach to have any validity in any form of research. But there's so many things that go into it as you so rightly said. Um, well, let, let me let me ask you a question. Yes. Where has that led us to? Where exactly. has reductionism led us exactly. to? People are still dying of cancer. Yes. People are still dying of heart disease. People still have diabetes. People still have all kinds of diseases that keep popping up. Where has reductionism led us to? Like Absolutely. nothing in nature is reductionistic. That yes. that's like saying I'm gonna I can prove through a reductionistic model that water is plant is bad for plants. I can put a plant in the closet and give it all the water in the world, but it's going to die because I'm not giving it sunlight. Yeah. So reductionism doesn't work. It's, it's great for storytelling. It's great for selling stuff, but it doesn't actually work. We are not designed to be reduced down to a single variable. And that's the cosmic joke. If you talk to Bruce Lipton, he'll tell you the same thing. This method of scientific inquiry works in unconscious circumstances. As soon as you add consciousness, which is what human beings are, you cannot have a reductionistic model because even our traumas, our past experiences control and regulate our biology, right? So if, as I mentioned earlier, if I tell somebody to eat healthy and that person feels like eating healthy is a punishment and the other person feels like eating healthy is a privilege, which one do you think is going to have a better response to the intervention? So the moment you add consciousness and emotions and past experiences, and you bring that into part of the equation, then you can't have this reductionistic model. And that's the problem with science. And that's the beauty of the time and era that we're living in, because tools like Aura, tools like CGM bring that power back into people's hands. So we don't have to listen to these reductionistic scientists anymore. We could do our own scientific inquiry. We could do what works for us 
and then make informed decisions based on our own biology. So this is what the autonomy and the future of health looks like. This is what it means to be the doctor of the future. You're not delegating all your thinking to some scientist who has this backwards approach to life. You're, you're asking yourself these inquisitive questions, and then you're introducing the variables. You're introducing, okay, when I eat at this time, what happens? When I watch this movie this late, what happens? When I turn off my lights or leave them on, what happens? When I get outside during the day and reprogram my circadian rhythm, what happens, right? When I start taking these nutrients, what's happening, right? You can decide what's happening for you because genetically we are all unique. Emotionally, we are all unique and we all have our own unique Dharma as well. So, you know, there's, there's this model of health is, is like miserably failing, right? So I don't know why people are so attached to it, right? It does work in very unique circumstances, but it doesn't work in chronic illness because chronic illnesses are not by choice they're by choices. You can never develop. There's no single one variable that, that causes diabetes, right? It's a multitude of things. There's people that eat like crap that don't get diabetes, right? And there's people that, you know, that eat really healthy and they might get diabetes because maybe they have chronic stress that they have unresolved, or maybe they have trauma that's unresolved. So the era of healthcare that we're moving into is moving away from reductionism. And we're going to look back 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred years from now, and we're going to be laughing at the way we did scientific inquiry, because look at where it's led us. If, if we were healthier than ever, if we had a beautifully enlightened world where people were healthy, were vibrant, were vital, were self-actualized, had you know, this uh, amazing ability to, you know, to function at the highest levels possible, then I would say, hey, reductionism works. But where are we right now? We're the sickest we've ever been, right? Yes, lifespan has increased, but that's mainly due to sanitation. And people who live long, it's not because of science they're living longer, it's because of the choices that they made they're living longer. In fact, if you look at blue zones, blue zones have the least amount of modern day interventions that you could imagine, right? They're not watching TV all night, they're not watching violent movies, they're not exposed to artificial light as much as we are. You know, they're living in community, they're living in congruence, they're growing their own food, they're staying active, they're getting adequate sunlight, they're eating fresh food, farm to table. I mean, it's the basic stuff that's leading people to live a long, healthy life. And here we are trying to reduce it down to like, oh, what's that one thing that I can do, do everything else wrong, but let me do one thing. You know, that's a hoop dream. That's it's wishful thinking. I wish I could just like, you know, just live in my senses and not care about anything, right? And just do whatever I want to just be on this dopamine rush for my entire life. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? And then just magically take some pill that's going to fix everything for me. I mean, that's we're, that's like a waking dream that ends as a nightmare. And when you mentioned consciousness, Sachin, that also brought to mind, I had this friend who was almost throwing up drinking this smoothie. So I said, what's in that? And she said, no, you know, she had heard that there's so many of these superfoods. So she had added Brahmi and Ashwagandha and so many things into this, but it made it taste vile. 
and she was gulping it down forcing mm. herself to do that because there's a belief that you add all these wonderfully nutritious ingredients that you've got yourself an insurance towards great health but contrary to that i firmly believe like you just mentioned that you really need to enjoy your food so don't make it taste while you shouldn't be forcing yourself to not to throw up and you also mentioned uh, how there are people who eat like crap and they you know they don't get diabetes but i also hear people who say things like uh, somebody close to them passed away and they hadn't they had been healthy and exercised well and so their belief is that look they lived so well and they died anyway so that just tells us that none of this matters and that's ridiculous as well um so but i do want us to have a little bit of time to talk about your nighttime your evening routine and what do you, what have you seen that has really worked for you and what are your non negotiable where you don't budge no matter what is seeking you out so i i'm not perfect and i don't want to be misleading people to to pretend that i am but i will say what is ideal so what do i shoot for and strive for and i'm a 90 95.5 kind of guy. So 95% of the time I'm sticking to this uh, routine that I'm going to share with you. And then 5% of the time there's usually family involved or, or something like that, that's going to throw me off. Right. So yeah. my parents, my mom specifically, I love her, love her to life, but uh, you know, she is a night owl. So wow. she's the type of person that will be, you know, watching uh, and, and usually, usually she's watching some sort of prayer or, you know, something like that, but she's on her screen late at night. And so, um, my objective, my, my greatest goal in life is to get her to go to bed early. If I can do that, then I will have done my, my duty as a human being and uh, as her son. Uh, so, you know, usually when there's family involved, things can get a little bit later, but I am known in my family, uh, as the person that goes to bed early and not early, early is contextual. It's more on time. Okay. So we want to, we want to kind of understand that everything in our, everything in the world around us is guiding its biology based on the rising and setting of the sun. So human beings used to sleep 10 hours a night on average, and then we invented the light bulb. And then human beings now sleep seven hours on average. And those three hours are usually filled not with drum circles and meditation and chanting and kirtan and stuff like that. It's usually filled with stress, right? Maybe filled with being on their computer. Maybe it's filled with nowadays being uh, on their phone or a mobile device or watching the news, you know, and really, you know, not paying attention to the time of day um, and the biological requirements of our body. So in nature, when the sun goes down, there's important signals that are being sent to our brain that it's time to start winding down. Our production of cortisol decreases, and then our production of melatonin increases. Now, melatonin, as I mentioned earlier, is made from serotonin. So we need to have adequate amounts of serotonin in order for us to make melatonin, and we need to lower our stress hormone production of cortisol. So we have to find things that relax us in the evening. And these are things that, you know, we want to think of in, in environmental aspects that help us relax. That could be soft music that we play. So I generally play soft music in the evening. Uh, so that helps me uh, use my sensory systems to help me go into a state of relaxation. We usually dim the lighting or turn off all the overhead lighting and we use the Lumi bulbs 
So these help us induce a state of increased melatonin production. Uh, we also, uh, as much as possible, try to turn off the television after the sun goes down. So, you know, nowadays it's getting later um, and later that the sun is going down. So we turn off the, we turn off the TV, just like we want to stop eating a few hours before bed. We want to stop eating with our eyes before bed as well. So usually about two hours before bedtime, I'm going to try to turn off the, the lights and screens and things like that. So that again, it's signaling my body that it's time to wind down and then sleep comes natural. I'm not fighting my body to go to sleep. It's naturally going into that stage of sleep. If I am awake, I usually I'm not using my computer or phone. I'm pretty good about that nowadays, but if I am awake, then I will be wearing these glasses and these glasses are my daytime lenses. So the daytime lenses block out 30%. Uh, of blue light because blue light is a natural part of the solar spectrum. And then the evening I have a, a active recovery lens, which is orange. And then that blocks out hundred percent of the blue light. And then these lenses I wear, you know, about an hour before bed, and this blocks out hundred percent of the blue and green light. So green light is also important for us to avoid because green light is very stimulating. If you look at leaves in the evening, what color do they appear to be? I actually know they appear to be black. Mm. So next time you go outside and it's, it's sunlight out or not, it's dark outside and the sun is down, the leaves will appear to be black because there is no blue light and there is no green light anymore. So there's no light for no green light for the leaves to reflect in the evening. So you'll see that. And so it's, it's very visible to us. Um, the other thing that we try to do is we try to use, so we try to use our senses as much as possible, right? So we try to use sound, right? To relax us. We try to use the right frequency of lighting and the right nanometer wavelength of lighting to relax us. We also can use scents like lavender uh, to help us get into a more relaxed state. I try not to eat a few hours before bedtime. Uh, that I found for me makes a big difference, okay? And then the other thing that we can do is uh, read a book. Okay, so I find that reading a book, just a traditional book, not on a e-reader or anything like that, uh, makes a big difference. And then we uh, try to unplug our Wi-Fi system as well. So there's no electronic interference because we are electrical beings. We want to try to minimize that as much as possible. And then my phones go into airplane mode so that there's no interference there either. So we try to basically go into a hibernative type of state, right? So we're using our senses and we're using our environment to create a, a signal of safety and relaxation in our bodies. And you mentioned airplane mode, Sachin. So my phone is on airplane mode every day from about six in the evening. And I've been asked by so many people, so what happens if someone needs to contact you in an emergency? And I just say, well, they can't. Uh, it will be on the very next day and they can figure it out. We didn't have this many, many decades ago. How did we survive without that? So I'm so mm -hmm. glad you mentioned that. But I do want to also ask you a controversial question because I've been asking this to a lot of people. Do you truly believe that there is something called a night out? Oh, so that's an interesting question. So one of my friends, uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, wrote a book and it's called the power of when, yes. and he identifies four different chronotypes. Yes. And one of them is the dolphin, which is probably the equivalent to the night owl, the, the light sleeper, the insomniac, the person that generally tends to be uh, up at night. And there's also the wolf as well. So, you know, 
I feel like from a tribal standpoint that there probably are people that are programmed a little bit differently, right? So to protect the tribe, yes. there's got to be people up at all hours of the day, right? So some people need to be up in the morning. Some people need to be more, most alert in the evening. So there probably is some truth to that just from an evolutionary standpoint. But I also believe that we are all uh, given you know, um, we are, we are, we all abide by the same biological needs. So just because you're a night owl, that doesn't mean that you don't need to have, you know, proper melatonin production, that you don't need to emphasize your sleep. And maybe your sleep is delayed, or maybe your sleep is, you know, slightly shifted from everyone else's, but it should still be prioritized. So, you know, you know, Robin Sharma has something called the 5am club. Right. And as soon as he says the 5 a.m. club, people are like, oh, I can't wake up that early. Right. Well, that doesn't mean that you can't start your day the same way he does at 5 a.m. Maybe yours is 7 a.m. because that's what your natural biology is. That's what your natural cadence is. So whatever your sleep routine is, maybe you go to bed at midnight, let's say hypothetically, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you dismiss everything that we talked about. It doesn't mean that two hours before bed, you can't turn off your TV. You can't turn off the overhead lighting. You can't stop eating. You can't get into, you know, you can't turn on relaxed music. You should be doing all of those things regardless of what time you go to bed, because that's going to help you sleep deeper. And there's three things that we encourage people to do if they want to heal fast and only if they want to heal fast, right? The first thing is go to bed and sleep deeply. Okay. So get restorative sleep, whatever that means for you, um, do that. Okay. Because sleep is when our body heals. Our body doesn't heal during the day. It heals while we're sleeping. The other thing we encourage people to do is figure out a fasting window. Generally, we recommend between, you know, uh, a six to eight hour feeding window and the rest of the time, the stomach and the digestive system should be given a break. Okay. And the other thing that we recommend is silence. So if we can practice some silence, some, uh, you know, some fasting and some sleeping, then, you know, then those are going to be the fastest tools to heal. If you think about children and when children don't feel well, what do they do? They don't want to eat anything. They don't want to talk to you and they want to go to sleep. And when they do that, they wake up 12 hours later and they're perfectly fine. And you're like, holy smokes, like children heal so fast. Well, guess what? They're actually using the same formula that I just told you. They're using it unconsciously. Whereas adults, what do they do? They post on Facebook how sick they are. They tell, you know, they tell, go around telling everyone, right? So there's no silence. They take a medication to get through the day because sometimes we need to do that. And then the last thing they do is they try to shove their face full of food instead of giving their immune system a break, their digestive organs and liver and detoxification organs a break. They use food to pacify themselves. And that actually has a contrarian outcome than what they're looking for. So, you know, sometimes the, the most profound things are the simplest things that we can do that don't cost us any money, don't cost us really any time, but they're not sexy, right? So people are dismissive of, the, of those things. They want to take a fancy pill. They want to, again, have a reductionistic way of approaching this problem so they could keep living uh, their life, which is what probably led to the illness in the first place. Beautiful. So tell me about your dinner. So my dinner, you know, I eat uh, as much as possible. I try to eat Indian food for dinner. And I try to eat again, as I mentioned, about two to three hours uh, before bedtime. And generally like 98% of our meals are home cooked. Uh, so they're, uh, you know, cooked with intention, cooked with love, cooked with, you know, the raw ingredients. And, um, and so our meals generally tend to be extremely healthy, as organic as possible. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm vegetarian, you know, 99% vegan. So there will be the odd time that something sneaks in, but, uh, you know, so I eat a very plant-based diet and, you know, try to be very conscientious of my carbohydrate intake. So I'm not necessarily ketogenic per se. There are times where I am, but I try to eat a very carb conscious, uh, vegan, um, slash vegetarian diet. And any final words for us, because I know we are all, we've gone on for quite a while. So do you feel you missed out anything that you'd like to share before we conclude? Well, I think there's lots that we could talk about, right? But, uh, you know, for those of you that are still tuned in and listening, I hope that you found some form of empowerment here. I hope you realize that there's so much that you can do for yourself um, that nobody else will do. Nobody else will sometimes even tell you or nobody else can do for you, right? Nobody can go to bed early for you. Nobody can can stop eating two hours before bed for you, right? Nobody can turn off the violent television shows for you. You've got to do that for yourself. And what I believe is that if the technology is available to you, it's a worthwhile investment because it's a, it's a durable piece of equipment that gives you profound insights into what's going on with you. And that's the future, right? N of one is the future. What works for you is more important than what works for somebody else. And, you know, we, again, we can't use this reductionistic model has failed us, right, in, in so many ways. And it's helped us in many ways, but it's also failed us in so many ways. So we need to start looking at our health from, you know, more of a fractal approach instead of the, a unique uh, or instead of a reductionistic approach, because, you know, we've been spending billions of dollars looking for that magic pill and it still hasn't come right? So more money and more time going down the wrong path is not the answer. The answer is the exact opposite of what we've been doing. And that's what I love about, you know, the work that you're doing, the work that we're doing is we think of people's health like a diamond, right? If you were to polish just one surface of the diamond, it's going to look, it's going to look decent, but you really have to polish all the surfaces of the diamond, all the facets of the diamond for it to really show its brilliance. So we all have this two carat diamond inside of us, but we're only polishing one of the surfaces and that might be diet. It might be nutrition. It might be, you know, sleep, but you really have to polish all of them. And that's when you're going to achieve, you know, brilliant, you know, deep, meaningful, life-changing health. We have a mantra on the show, Sachin, so I want you to complete a mantra for us, which is if sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete that? Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at a loss of, uh, I'm at a loss of words. I'm trying to think of something profound. So maybe I'm overthinking this. Um, you know, it, you know, if sleep is a new medicine, then, you know, I think it's important to give ourselves that dose today. Lovely. Thank you, Sachin. It was a great conversation. As I said, we could probably go on for a whole lot longer. So maybe we should just have another conversation at some time. Where can people find you if they'd like to look at what you're up to? Yeah. So I'd love for people to check out a free tool that we've created. It's called 30 Ways in 30 Days. They can go to www.30in30.org, so 30in30.org, and it's a fr completely free program where I share 30 of my best tips, you know, the, the different uh, facets of the diamond that people can polish, 
And it's really simple things that people can do from the comfort of their home. And it's a great starting point. And what we find is that if you're doing these 30 things every day, you're going to see some radical shifts in your health in the course of just a few weeks. And if you need help and if you need support, then people like yourself are always available uh, to provide that additional guidance and, you know, just, you know, tweak things just a couple of millimeters, as Tony Robbins would say. So I, I want people to start there. They can also go to becomeproof.com and learn more about some of the services that we offer and how we help people uh, in our practices. But, you know, start with the free tools because there's a lot of great value there for people to start with. And I think I should tell all our listeners that whenever I watch any of your videos, Sachin, the one word that comes to my mind is warmth. There's just this radiance and warmth that comes from every conversation that you put out there. So people would be lucky to go listen to you. It was such a pleasure chatting with you and really I could have gone on. And also thank you for being here today. Well, thank you, Deepa. Much love and much gratitude for this opportunity. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.